You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We are looking at the Gospel of John through this year, and we are today finding ourselves at one of the most uh, famous stories of Jesus walking on water, miracle. And let me say this, there are four Gospels, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke share a lot in common, and John is different. John has a different approach. John has a lot of different stories about Jesus. So if it weren't for John, some of those stories about Jesus, we wouldn't even know. But why four Gospels? Because God loves everybody. All nations, all races, all cultures. You know, when we send out missionaries, they have to try to figure out, okay, well, how can I reach this particular people group with the message, the the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that it's effective and clear because God loves everybody? Well, this book is a missionary book. And the four gospels are written to four different groups of people. Matthew is written in large part to those with a Jewish background. And they want to know, is Jesus fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecies of God? And so Matthew does a really good job of connecting Jesus to the Old Testament. And that's why one of the reasons that uh, Matthew opens with the genealogy, the ancestry of Jesus. Mark is written largely to a group of Romans. And he's more straight to the point. Uh, You'll see him just go from story to story. It's kind of more of a summary. Uh, Jesus did this, then he did this. Luke is largely written to Gentiles, which is non-Jewish believers, They don't have as grave a concern about Jesus' ancestry. They want to know, is Jesus for everybody? And then we read John. John is where we find ourselves this year. Matthew, Mark, and Luke share about 60% of the same content. John is about 90% unique. And he includes information that others don't for the most part. It could be because scholars believe that John was written last, that the other three were already widely known, and so John finds and remembers those stories that had not yet been told. But here's what I want you to know. The Bible does not contradict itself. The Bible complements itself. We're going to see an illustration of that today. All that being said, we're going to the story of the event of Jesus walking on water. John records this story, as do Matthew and Mark. And so we're going to look at these testimonies, and we're going to see two things. One, I've already mentioned, is that the Bible, God's Word, does not contradict itself. It complements itself. And number two, if you really want to know Scripture and understand Scripture, primarily you go to other Scripture. That's how you interpret Scripture. So Jesus walks on water on the Sea of Galilee. Now remember, this is a large body of water. It's about six and a half, seven miles wide, about 13 miles long. And John chapter six opens this way. When evening came. Now, when we were last in John's gospel, 
It was the story of Jesus taking a little boy's lunch and feeding, as a miracle, 5,000 men plus women and children. So we're 15, 20,000 people. And what is it that the crowd wants to do with Jesus as soon as this miracle is displayed is they want to take him by force and make him a king. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. This still happens around the Sea of Galilee. You see that body of water is surrounded by mountains. And when the wind kicks in and it rushes down those slopes, if you're in a boat on that water, you better find shore pretty fast. And here it's happening at night. When they had rowed about three or four miles, now think about this, how exhausted would you be? I mean, some of you barely made it in the parking lot. <laughs> three or four miles rowing at night against a headwind and they were probably already tired from ministering all day to some fifteen to 20,000 people. They had rowed three or four miles. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. This is not an illusion. Some people will say, well, that's impossible. That's why it's called a miracle. And they were frightened. Yeah, they were scared. I think I would be too. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. I hadn't noticed this before. One of two miracles have just taken place. One is Jesus walking on water. The second is as soon as he gets in the boat, the boat goes from the middle of the water to the shore. Is that a second miracle? I don't know. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Let me talk about your life and Jesus in your life. First, storms will come. Many of you are planners. That's what control freaks call themselves. <laughs> We like to know the future. We want to know what's going to happen so that we can avoid the storm. Some of you are told, give your life to Jesus and everything would be great. They forgot to tell you after you die. So between accepting Jesus and dying, you will face some storms. That's why the Bible says, don't be shocked, don't be surprised, don't be amazed when trials and temptations and troubles come. Sometimes storms come because we make foolish decisions. Sometimes they come because we make rebellious decisions, we make selfish decisions. Sometimes storms just come. These disciples are in the midst of a tremendous storm and they haven't done anything wrong. In fact, you'll see in a moment, they've done what Jesus told them to do. Now, there are all kinds of storms. Some of you are in the middle of one. And if you're not, 
you're probably seeing clouds on the horizon. This can be financial, emotional, relational, marital. This can be physical, there's sickness. This can be vocational, you've lost your job. This can be parental, the kid has walked away from the Lord and they're headed toward death and destruction. Storms come and the disciples are in a very real storm. Second thing, storms can throw you off course. They left one place, their destination was another place, and they can't get there. They can't get to where they were headed because a storm literally blew them off course. How many of you have had a course set? You're straining, you're working, and you're supposed to be debt-free, and all of a sudden there's a crisis. You were supposed to live happily ever after. Now there's talk of divorce. You took the job and the company is shutting its doors. You were friends. You don't know what happened and now you're enemies. You were healthy. You felt fine. The doctor says you could die. You're off course. I didn't intend to get here emotionally, physically, financially. Number three, some storms are beyond your ability to navigate. Some of these men in the boat, what was their vocation? They were fishermen. They had been on this lake. They had seen these storms. And even though they were seasoned fishermen, here they are working really hard, doing all they can, they fail. The storm is bigger than they are. For how many of you, that's... That's your story. I did everything I could. The storm was too big. The storm won. I lost. Number four, fear is what happens when you look at your circumstances. Faith is what happens when you look to the Lord over your circumstances. Jesus comes to them and says, don't be afraid. You see, when the storm comes, you have to decide, fear or faith? Fear is what happens when all you can see is the storm. Faith is what happens when you see Jesus in the midst of the storm and Jesus as the one in authority over the storm. Just so you know, fear is a constant human problem and it brings with it stress and anxiety. You know, the number one command in the Bible is fear not, don't be afraid. Sayings that similar. Why? Why is that the number one command in all of the Bible? Because that's our biggest problem. If God has to say it all the time, it must be a problem all the time. But here's what you also need to know. Many times when in God's word it says, don't fear, right near it, it says, for I am with you. You see, it's not so much that God is removing the storm, but that God will come to you in the storm and his presence will bring peace in the midst of the storm. Jesus says, it is I, don't be afraid. What he's saying is you're not alone. I am here with you in the midst of this. Some of you, your lives are gripped by fear. Some of your decision-making is by fear. What will they say or think? How devastating will this 
B. Fear is all about you trying to control the outcome. Faith is trusting Jesus to control the outcome. And I want to tell you, fear is real. It's something that I struggle with too. But we learn over time that the decisions you make out of fear are typically the wrong decision. These men are looking at their circumstances with fear. Jesus shows up and he tells them, I'm with you. Don't look to your circumstances. Look to me. You're not alone. Now, let me tell you some things about Jesus from this. First of all, did they go to Jesus or did Jesus come to them? Jesus came to them. That's good news. Jesus is not yelling from the shore, I hope you guys make it. It's safe where I am. I mean, think about this. This world is filled with sin. Jesus comes into this world. He knows that we cannot come to him. He comes to us. You need to know that Jesus wants a relationship with you, that Jesus wants to be present in your life. That's how Jesus works. Storms come, he comes. That's amazing. Second thing, Jesus is bigger than the storm. Here are these men in the boat, and here's the storm. The storm is bigger than they are, and they are filled with fear, and Jesus shows up, and he is bigger than the storm. So they need to have faith in the one that has authority over the storm. Jesus is bigger than the storm. That's the good news. Some of you right now, life is difficult, and I don't want to minimize what you're going through. Your circumstances may be bigger than you, but they're not bigger than him. Third, Jesus can deliver you from danger. What Jesus doesn't do is he doesn't show up and say, guys, it's not that big of a deal. They have a problem. Sometimes as Christians, we seek to minimize the storm. And when we do that, we minimize God's deliverance through the storm. It's a big storm and it's a big problem. And fears come and they need to be delivered from danger. Here's the good news. Jesus saves from many things. He saves from Satan and sin and death and hell and the wrath of God. And there are times that Jesus shows up and saves you right in the middle of life where you are. For how many of you, Jesus has saved you from you? So this is how John tells the story. Mark also tells the story, as does Matthew, and they include a little bit more information. So we're going to look at Mark's account next. This is Mark chapter 6, and we're going to see some things that Mark includes that John didn't. Here's how Mark starts his part of the story. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Now, this is different. John just said the disciples got in the boat. Here, we're told that Jesus made them get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. That's going to be important. We'll see that again in a minute. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And I want you to know that Jesus sees what you're enduring. 
Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. Now, that had to be weird. I mean, here they are out on a boat in a storm. They see somebody walking and, like, going to pass them by walking on the water. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out, like, yeah, (laughs) because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And he climbed into the boat with them. And the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Number one, sometimes Jesus sends you into a storm. Did Jesus send these men into a boat, into a storm? Yes. We just read. I even highlighted it. Jesus made his disciples get in the boat. Sometimes Jesus calls you into a storm, not to break you, but to build you. Sometimes this is where people get really angry with God. God, I did what you told me to do, and it's a mess. I did what you told me to do, and it's really hard. God, I did what you told me to do, and it's not working. Yet. Again, sometimes we get in the storms because we made bad decisions, but sometimes we find ourselves in a massive headwind because of obedience. We need to take note of what Jesus did. He goes up on a mountainside by himself for an extended period of prayer to be alone with the Father. You need to do the same. We all need to. For me, practically, that means I will schedule a time with the Lord every morning, maybe sometimes a little later in the day. But if I'm really going to do my best at the quiet time, it's, it's one of the first things in the morning where I'll read Scripture and I'll pray and, and I'll, I'll ask God for His guidance and let me have an open heart for where He's leading me for that day. I'll pray for my family, pray for the church, pray for other needs. And if I concentrate on what God wants, I begin to learn what he wants for me and from me, even in the hard moments. And let me say this. If Jesus needs time away to confirm the Father's plan for his life, then surely you and I need the same. And what prayer does is that it gives you that time of refreshment and renewal and revelation. You're going to pour yourself out. Jesus pours himself out to thousands. Life is not just about time management. It's also about energy management. And if you are in a caring profession, if you're in the medical field, if you're a teacher, a counselor, a manager, A leader, you bear additional responsibilities and burdens. Maybe you're raising a family on top of that. Maybe you're like my wife, Lori, married to somebody who has high maintenance. (laughs) It's all the hair products kind of stuff. You're exhausted because you've poured yourself out. You get time alone with the Lord for that renewal and, and refreshment. And revelation. As you pour yourself out, God needs to pour into you. 
Number two, sometimes God shows up in your life and you don't recognize him. I don't mean to rebuke you, but sometimes you're like, God's never shown up in my life. God's not here. I'm alone. The point is, he may be there and you just don't recognize him. Jesus shows up to these guys and what do they think? They're seen, a ghost. Sometimes God shows up, Jesus shows up, you don't recognize him, but it doesn't mean he's not there. Number three, we don't just see with our eyes, we see with our heart. What does the text say about the disciples' hearts? It says that their hearts were hard. Jesus comes to them. They don't recognize him. They're filled with fear rather than faith. And then Jesus is standing right before them. Why don't they see him? Why don't they have faith instead of fear? It's not a problem with their eyes. It's a problem with their heart. This is the point I'm trying to make. Sometimes people read the Bible and they don't believe what it says, not because they don't understand it, it's because they don't like it. That's a problem with the heart. So let me ask, are these guys believers in Jesus? Yeah. Are they followers of Jesus? Yes. And their heart is hard. So is it possible to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, and have seasons, occasions where your heart is hard? It is. Some of you know what that's like. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to read the Bible. I'm not going to go to church. The problem was not that there was just a storm around them. The problem was that there was a storm in them. So here's what I'm telling you. God cares tremendously about your heart because he is a loving, relational God. If there's a storm around you, he'll deal with that. But if there's a storm within you, that's his first priority. They have a hard heart. They have an internal storm. So John is where we started this story. Mark then added some details. Matthew, on this occasion, reveals the most of all. In Matthew 14, it starts pretty much the same way as John and Mark. So I'm going to go quickly through those first few verses. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the, wind, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. So this is the same information, right? This is like John and Mark combined at this point. But then the story goes on. Lord if it's you, Peter replied. Now, we hadn't heard from Peter. There was a group of disciples, but Peter had not been singled out in the other stories. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. This is Jesus' invitation to come. And Peter got out of the boat walked on the water and came toward Jesus. He gets out of the boat. He's a fisherman. He knows this isn't what you do on the water. 
But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. There's the fear. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. That's all you need to do with Jesus. Lord, save me. And he is happy to answer that cry. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand. (laughs) So glad he didn't give Peter a lecture. Standing on that water, okay, Peter's not so much standing on the water anymore. Peter, you should have known better. Peter, why didn't you? Peter, Peter. (laughs) Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let me tell you some things about Peter that apply to you. Number one, when the storms come, look to Jesus and keep looking to Jesus. He looks at Jesus, he's okay. He looks at his circumstances, he's not okay. He looks at Jesus, he's filled with faith. He notices his circumstances, he's filled with fear. For how many of you, this is you? So keep looking to Jesus. What is that like practically? Read your Bible, pray, be in relationship with God's people, go to church, sing to the Lord, and invite God's presence into your life where there will be a place of calm in the midst of a storm. Number two, when Jesus commands you to obey him, then obey him. Jesus says one word to Peter, come. And Peter obeys him. Some of you are like, God, tell me what to do. And God's like, already did. You're like, well, tell me something else. It's kind of like, as parents, that's what we do to our kids, right? Do this, take care of this, then you get to do something else. Well, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else now. Well, you don't get to do something else now until this is done. That's God with us. It's a father telling his children that they need to trust him and obey him. Number three, faith is simply taking the next step. So for Peter, what's his first step? It's getting out of the boat. Let me ask you, was the storm stopped at that moment? No, it wasn't. So Jesus has invited Peter out of the boat into the storm. Next step, he's walking on water. Next step, don't know how long at some point he stopped taking that next step. And as a result, he started sinking. Peter got ahead of the Lord. He's looking at his surroundings. He's missed what he's supposed to do next. I don't know what the next step is for you. For some of you, it's get a Bible and start reading it. Some of you, it's apologize to someone you've offended. For others, it's forgiving those who have offended you. For others, it's, I've got to get up and meet with the Lord before I try to meet with anybody else in my day. Faith is taking the next step. Number four, for those of you who like lists, this is the sermon for you. I've only got like 24 more. Don't worry, we're fine. We're good on time. 
faith unleashes the supernatural. Sometimes God does the miraculous, but you're not going to see it if you're not trusting him. It's you saying, it's out of my hand, it's in your hands, Lord, and I trust you. And that unleashes the power of God in your life. Here, Jesus doesn't guarantee Peter, you're going to be able to do this, no problem. He said, come. It's like, take a step. And then faith unleashes the power and provision of God in Peter's life. Now he is walking on water. But number five, fear will sink you. When you are living by faith, it is literally you walking over your circumstances. But when you live by fear, it is you sinking into your circumstances. Fear will sink you. Fear is the vision of life without God in it. There's a little line in 1 John chapter 4 that says, perfect love casts out fear because fear comes to take your joy. It comes to take your energy. It comes to rob you of hope. Jesus loves you perfectly and faith in his perfect love will cast out fear. So here's what you need to know. Fear is not just a part of your personality. Fear seeks to enter into your life to ruin you and destroy you. What happens to Peter? He's afraid. What does fear do? It causes him to sink. The only way out is to look to Jesus and have faith in his perfect love. The Bible says in that same verse from 1 John 4 that fear has to do with punishment. So let me tell you this. Jesus went to the cross and died for you. God is no longer seeking to punish you. God is seeking to deliver you. Fear will sink you. It will sink your marriage and your family. It will sink your business and your legacy and your hope and your joy. Faith will allow you to rise above your circumstances and follow the one who delivers. Last one, number six. When the storm comes, you have two choices. Worry or worship. You're going to have all this emotion. You're going to have all this, all this turmoil, all this energy. And some of you start to make a plan before you start to pray. Some of you will worry before you worship. How do I know? Because <laughs> I'm the same way. They are worried. And then Jesus comes, and the story in Matthew ends, they worshiped him. Now, some of you in this room have the gift of freaking out. And instead of talking to the Lord, you'll talk about the storm. Well, here's what's going on, and here's what's so terrible, and here's where I'm, I'm, I'm really worried. So before planning, you need to start praying. And instead of worrying, you need, and I need, to worship. That's taking all of that energy and not giving it to the storm, You're giving it to the Lord who is over the storm. This is, again, time in God's presence, reading your Bible, praying, singing, getting into church. Worshiping is what people do to cause the storm in their life to have a peace in the midst of it. No matter what else is going on, 
until God decides to do something with that external storm. He wants you to give him that internal storm that will sustain your life. And let me tell you this. God doesn't need you to worship him. You need to worship him. Especially in the storm. Knowing that God will never leave you. God will never abandon you. Here's what I can't promise you. I can't promise you that if you take the next step, it'll be easy. But if you take the next step with Jesus, you're going to be okay. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.